Amen. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, and I hope that everybody has, would you please turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 2. And you remember that uh, we have uh, begun to get back into our studies of Acts. But as I've pointed out, we haven't really left uh, these studies in a sense because we've been talking about the work and person of the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. And we recognize very clearly, and I think increasingly so, as a fellowship, that we cannot do this this thing, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on our own. We were never intended to do it on our own. We were never told to follow a set of rules and instructions and, and, and God is, is up in heaven and he leaves us to it. No, 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 that's not the way this, this, this whole thing works. Because God knows, the Lord Jesus Christ knew and he continues to pray and he prayed for us, if we remember from John 17, he knows That on our own, we can't do it. We're weak. We're feeble. And we will allow ourselves uh, to be led astray so very, very easily. And so we recognize that the only thing that has held the church of the Lord Jesus Christ together for the last 2,000 years has been the imparting of his Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of each and every single one of us who have come to faith in him. Religion won't do it. If you're here and you're here because you think we're religious, you might as well get up now and walk out because we're not religious. That's not the way that it happens. We discover that we cannot follow the rules and regulations in the way that so often people uh, seem content to follow and uh, to work things through. So we come to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1. And because of time, we won't go to verse 13, we'll just go to verse 4, because these are the verses that uh, we're focusing on. Um, If you remember that uh, this is the second half of our message from last week. So verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and it began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we know very clearly who it is who is in control and who it is that uh, is in charge here. And so in a very real way, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the disciples who had seen Jesus ascend back into heaven, they had looked up and they had seen him being taken away into heaven. And of course, we know from the scriptures and from what our Lord had said, that he had to leave them for the Holy Spirit to come. And we begin to see this as, uh, as we look at these verses very, very carefully Uh, during the course of our time this morning. So the uh, uh, disciples, they see uh, the Lord Jesus taken away. And and now, all of a sudden, instead of feeling isolated, feeling lonely, feeling alone, all of a sudden, they're able to shout out and say, He's alive! Because that's exactly what had happened. Jesus had returned to heaven and he said, I promise you, I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will be with you. He'll draw alongside with you. Not only that, he'll live in you. And so, as we spoke of uh, Roald Amerson, the Norwegian, when he got to the North Pole, he releases his homing pigeon 
And two or three days later, his wife uh, goes out of the front door and she sees this pigeon circling around the house and she knows exactly what it means. It means he's alive. And this is the picture that we have here in a sense because the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus said he was going back into heaven. And now the disciples know that he's alive. He's alive. And more than that, they're able to say he's back because he's back with us. And here's, here's the really exciting thing. He's back in each of them individually. You know, when they, when they were up in that upper room, they were gathered around the table and, and the Lord is, is there. But now, he's in them. And so this is the great miracle that we see that has taken place here. You see, everything else in the Christian life is derived from this one fact. And it's this, that his actual life is implanted within us. Now, I expect you to shout this out in a moment. I can't, but he can. You know what's been exciting? Because I've heard one of our young people telling someone else recently, I can't, but he can. Because slowly but surely, the message that we've been talking about is beginning to enter into our hearts and we begin to understand that we can't do it in our own strength, however hard we try. And you know what? Some of us are pretty good. You know, my office is a mess. All right? I can't find bits of paper when, when Jody asks me for receipts and things. I go into a panic because... She doesn't understand. You know, for me, it's a challenge. And I come across other people and their houses and their lives are all organized and they're all together. And I think to myself, well, they must live a great life. And then it dawned on me, no, it's exactly the same when it comes to the Christian life because we can't do it in our own strength. It doesn't matter how well organized we are. It is Jesus living in us through his Holy Spirit that enables us to live for, the, for him. You see, what happens is, is that we become sharers of the life of Christ together. And, and this is incredible. So we're, we're not just a load of religious people that are following the same hymn sheet. What it is, is that we are a load of people that have been brought together, that have been saved, that have been brought into the kingdom of heaven because of the Holy Spirit living within us, because of Jesus living his life in us. We're told, as our Lord spoke, he said, the counselor will come. And that's a lovely picture of what it is, is that the counselor draws alongside us. But he also dwells within us. Previously, Jesus, as I've said, had inhabited one body. But now he comes to create a new body. And what's the new body? The new body is his church. It's us. It's not a load of red bricks that are piled up over there or a bit of canvas strapped to some aluminium frames. The church is us. And we're all held together in that common bond of unity because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. It's the mystery of the gospel, isn't it? And our minds can't always get round it. How is this possible? Now, of course, uh, what Jesus had prayed for in John chapter 17, uh, right here, is being fulfilled. This was the night that he took bread and he said, this is my body, eat this in remembrance of me. And he took a, a cup of wine and he said, this, this wine symbolizes my blood. He said, drink this. 
And he, he so, told, us, uh, told the disciples that this is the blood of the new covenant. And that very night in that room, he was able to talk to them at length about so many other things in chapters 14, 15, and 16. If you're able to come along this evening, we're going to talk about the significance of the fact that Judas left before those promises were given because they were not for him. And then in chapter 17, we see that our Lord prayed and that prayer is recorded for us. And what a wonderful prayer it is. And of course, our Lord Jesus, if we read in verse 11, for example, he said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. We sang, didn't we, that song talking about there's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. These will be one as, Father, you and I are one. And then later in verse 20 of John chapter 17, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And friends, here we are. Jesus prayed for us, and here we are. Because all the way down through, there have been those that have come to faith, that have put their trust and their belief in the message that the apostles preached, and they were fearless in their preaching of it. And then those faithful servants of God throughout the history of the last 2,000 years have presented the gospel. And that is why we need to continue to do this and to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ clearly. Went on to say that all of them, maybe one father, as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's again why we preach and teach and share the gospel. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And of course the Trinity is a wonderful picture to help us to understand the oneness that we should have together uh, when we consider all that was spoken here in John 17. What's the repeated prayer, the repeated theme of this prayer? It's this, that they would be one. Father, that they would be one as you and I are one together. Now, I just want to say what this doesn't mean because there is some confusion here uh, as, to, uh, as to what people sometimes interpret this section of Scripture to talk about. It doesn't mean one in agreement all of the time. Now, if there's a group of people that struggle to agree about everything all of the time, uh, well, we're all sat here and uh, enjoying this time together in, uh, in this tent because the church of the Lord Jesus has been riven with divisions and splits, uh, and some of them have been very, very serious indeed. So what it doesn't mean is that uh, we are to be in agreement uh, um, in, in that sense all of the time, or indeed to be one in mind necessarily. Now, of course, it's absolutely wonderful when it is. And as a fellowship, we seem to have been able to rejoice in that oneness that has come together. I mean, during the course of COVID, do you know what? There's many churches that have just split and broken up. But we haven't. And we've rejoiced in the fact that we've been able to work together. And do you know what? We kept the doors of the church open pretty well throughout the whole time. And we were able to welcome people. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, criticism from those around us, but we've continued to do what the Lord led us to do. And we continue to do that. And so there has been a oneness in mind, but we haven't had to sort of like have a, you know, a whip and say, this is what's going to happen. There was a sense 
of unity and union, which I praise God for. Uh, we've never had disagreements. Even amongst the elders and deacons, there has been a determination to first and foremost say, what is it that God wants us to do? What does his word say? Friends, we are a special people. The world can't understand that. But we are, and what makes us special, what it is, is simply Jesus living in us. Jesus living within us. Of course, as I say, it's wonderful when we agree on so many things. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that we should know the oneness with Christ, that Christ enjoyed with his Father. Christians having nothing to do with each other, that's not something that we can ever entertain from a scriptural perspective. Jesus prayed that that wouldn't happen. Now, Jesus is not talking about the oneness that he and his Father had in deity of the Godhead as such, although, of course, he and the Father were co-equal with the Holy Spirit. No, what he's talking about here is a oneness of activity. As Jesus said, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. In other words, what you have seen in my activity and my miracles, it's the Father's activity in us. And friends, this is the only lesson we're going to look at this morning. He is working in me and through me. And we see that very clearly in the scriptures that we have read together. And as we look at John 14, 15, and 16, then come through into John 17. And in the upper room, he says to his disciples, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me, doing his work. And so what he's saying here is that it's not my words, it's his words. In other words, the Father is speaking through me. Now, of course, the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people were absolutely, that was the one thing they just could not accept. Because in saying that, he is saying, Jesus is saying, I am God. He's saying, my words are not my words. The words you hear from my lips are the words of my Father. The works you see through my life are not mine. They are the works of the Father living in me, doing his work, which is why he then says in the next verse, believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe me on the evidence of the miracles themselves. In other words, the miracles that you see are demonstrating the fact that the Father is at work in me and through me. In other words, in my activity, you see the activity of God the Father. You see my Father's activity. Jesus said in uh, John 5 and verse 9, I tell you the truth. He said, the Son who can do nothing by himself, the Son can do nothing by himself. So don't congratulate him. That's a, a way of putting it. Jesus might have said on the miracles, I perform, the Son can do nothing by myself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So what you see me do is actually what the Father is doing as the Father lives in me and does his work. Now, friends, it's important that we understand this because this is the oneness that is being spoken of here for us in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and in our lives. Jesus is saying, it's God that works in me. 
And the lesson that we have to learn and we have to understand is that it's not my work. It's not your work. It's God working in us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And it's imperative that we begin to understand that. So often we come across people who seem so happy to say, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Welcome to my church. And it's not. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the oneness that is being spoken of. Jesus enjoyed it with his father, and it's the oneness he prayed that his disciples would enjoy with him. That I might be in them and they in me, and the result is that the works you see in them are the works of God. And he says, don't congratulate me as an individual, for it is me working in them. It's my father who's been working in us. And of course, the prayer that our Lord brought in John Chapter 17 was fully answered at Pentecost. And from there on you find these disciples, uh, the little bit that we know about them in terms of detail, we discover that the disciples from that point at Pentecost onwards are totally different people. They're very different people. Because now the explanation for their activity is Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit operating in them and through them. So we can look at uh, the example of Peter, for example, and you would probably agree with me that, uh, uh, that this is very clear in his life. What was Peter like? Peter was Peter until Pentecost. We could say, Peter, it's your personality. Peter, it's your impetuousness. He couldn't help but open his mouth and put his foot in it. It was his character. It was his spontaneity. Before anything else, he's up and he's run and he's away and big problems come. Peter, it's your big mouth. These are the characteristics that we see of Peter. All the things we know about Peter before Pentecost, but after Pentecost, the only explanation is God at work in his life through the Holy Spirit, because everything has changed. Everything has changed. So let's give a few brief examples from uh, chapter 3, the very next chapter there in Acts. Uh, we know that uh, that section of Scripture is about the healing of uh, a crippled man. Um, he, we're told he was born crippled, and he's laid uh, outside the temple gate, and people would come by year in, year out, and they would see him begging. And as Peter and John come along, He's asking for money. And Peter uh, says to the man, he says, silver and gold, I'm afraid I haven't got. But he goes on to say, but what I do have, I will give you. And then he says this, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man jumps up and he begins to walk. And he's bouncing around because he can walk. And the crowd that are gathered around they knew who he was because they'd walked past him. He was the man who was sat at the simple gate and now he is about and he's up and about and he's walking around. And the crowd gathers and then in Acts 3 and verse 12 we read this, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us, Peter and John, as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You see, they couldn't 
but he could. I can't, he can. Do we now see the link very clearly? In other words, Peter says this, he says, what are you so surprised about? Don't congratulate us. So this, this is what the surprise is about. Don't congratulate us. This is God's work. Now, there would have been lots of reasons why people would have been um, surprised by what took place. The man had been lying there for many years. They'd seen him every day at the temple gate. And now he's running and he's jumping and he's bouncing around the place. And Peter says, don't look at us. As if we, by our own power or our own godliness, made this man walk. Don't congratulate us, Peter says. He goes on and you could imagine that he says, when you come to write down this account, Luke, when you write this account, whatever you do, don't call it the Acts of the Apostles. And we turn back the page, the New King James says the Acts of the Apostles. And it's not the Acts of the Apostles at all. When you write it down, say it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Because the apostles couldn't do it. But he could. Through them. I didn't do this, says Peter. If you read verses 13 and 16 of chapter 3, he denies it. And he says this, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. This is not something that I have done. This is something which God has done. You see, now Peter has been brought into union with God. And the activity of Peter's life can only be, in, it can only be explained in the terms of the activity of God working in him and through him. And in Acts chapter 4, the others with him were brought before the Sanhedrin council. This was the highest Jewish authority. They were the ones who were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus just a few weeks before. So imagine that. You know, this is, this is the committee that called for the death of Jesus. Now, they couldn't actually uh, put the death sentence through. They had to go to the Romans to do that. But it was on their recommendation. And here we discover that Peter and John are being brought before these very same people. But they're not afraid. Now, just shortly beforehand, they would have been. In fact, they were so frightened, they were locked in a room somewhere. The windows were barred. The door had been barred on the inside. They'd driven a load of nails in to make sure nobody could get in. But now they're taken before the Sanhedrin, this council. And we read, uh, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now think about those words. Can you hear them just ringing around? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is a bit like the, the, the FBI's sort of watch list. Who's at the top of the FBI's watch list? 
But this time, something amazing has changed. Why? Because these men, who they knew were unschooled, who they knew were ignorant, they'd never been anywhere. They're ordinary men, ordinary people, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. And friends, they almost got it right. But they didn't get it right. You see, what they had assumed was this. And sometimes this is what people assume today. And this is how the Christian life works. They assumed this. They thought to themselves, just because these men had been following Jesus, had eaten meals with Jesus, had listened to him preaching and teaching, had seen miracles take place, that a little bit of Jesus had rubbed off onto them. And there are people in churches today who think that just coming to church means that hopefully I'll rub shoulders with some really good person, somebody who's a really good, strong Christian, and maybe a little bit of their faith will rub off on me. There are people who will perhaps follow through and think, just because I'm part of the crowd, part of the people, part of the group, that they will change me because that's what religion tends to say. If you can just learn to be religious, if you can stop doing the wrong things and start doing the right things, then a little bit of it will rub off. And, and that's what we see here with the, with the Sanhedrin. But you see, the problem is, is that spiritual life never rubs off onto us. Never. Not even from Jesus. Wait for it. You see, what the Sanhedrin actually saw in Peter and John was Jesus himself. Because suddenly their minds went back to the time when they had met with Jesus and suddenly they realized that what they have stood before them is a man in which Christ now lives and dwells because Pentecost brought the Holy Spirit. And it was Jesus who was working in them. It was Jesus who had filled them giving them courage, the courage that they had never had before, nor did they ever expect that they could have. It wasn't his influence. That's what people seem to think. It was his very life in them. It was Jesus living in them. And friends, this is what we have today. The Holy Spirit lives within us when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's only that that can change us. When Paul went on his missionary journeys and he came back to Antioch, the church which had commissioned him back in Acts 14 and verse 27, and it says on arriving there that they gave the church, uh, that they gathered the church together and reported to them all that God had done through them. How he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And when Paul got back, he said, I don't want to tell you what we've done because it'll only take a couple of seconds. It won't amount to much. But what he went on to say was, I'll tell you what God has done through us. 
And friends, that's how it is with us today. We can try and create and do all sorts of things, and they can be really good things. We can spend loads of money, dollars at it. We could build the most wonderful churches that you could ever imagine. But if the Holy Spirit's not in it, if he's not in us, it will amount to nothing. Now that's exciting because it amounts to something when the Holy Spirit is in us. How he, God, has opened the door to the faithless Gentiles. And this, of course, is what makes the Christian life so relaxing. Now you weren't expecting me to use that word, were you? But you know what? Religion just makes you stressed. And you suddenly become legalistic. You suddenly become judgmental. And you're watching all the other people around and you're thinking to yourself, they've got to live the way I live. They've got to look like the way I look. They've got to do the things I do. Because that's the course that takes place. But we can be relaxed when it is God working in us. It's not about what you do for God. It's about what you allow God to do through you. That's the source of our strength. That's where our energy comes from. And that's where our power comes from. Now that doesn't mean that we become like zombies. Or we go into some sort of neutral stance and be controlled like a puppet on a string. Of course not. What it does mean is this though. It's dependency. As we seek to obey what God gives us to do, our dependency must always be on him. I can't, he can. I can't, he can. Now we have different personalities, and we always will, and that's right, and that's good, and that's one of the wonderful things about being human, but none of us are the same. We've all been made differently. What a creation. What a God. The explanation for our lives becomes God in us. And if we can explain ourselves simply in terms of our personalities and our abilities, it won't amount to very much. In the long run, there must be that which is inexplicable. Apart from the fact that God is at work and alive within us and through us. That's what we have time for for today. And next week we'll begin to start to look at the actual work of the Holy Spirit within us. Um, we spoke, if you remember, at the beginning last week of the fact that the Holy Spirit is not just something, some liquid that you pour in. We discovered that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's part of the Godhead. You can't have half a person. Okay, and we recognize this very clearly. And so we'll be looking next week as we begin uh, to consider these things. just want to tell you a very, very quick story. A six-year-old girl, this is a true one, a six-year-old girl last week said something like this to her mum. And it moved her mum very much. Now, I have to say the theology is a little bit wonky in places, so we're not going to get too angry with a six-year-old child, are we? But this is what happened. 
the little girl looked at her mum and said, Mummy, when I blew out the candle, I made a wish. And mum replies to the little six-year-old girl and says, What did you wish? And the little girl replies and said, I wished that Jesus would come back tonight. Now there are some of us here who if we were to make a wish about that would wish that Jesus doesn't come back tonight because we're not ready for him. Many of us sitting here may have that feeling. I'm wishing that Jesus would come back tonight because I'm ready to meet him. And you know why I'm ready? Because he's already in here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He's already in here. Do you see it now? So as we go forward and we look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles, friends, it's, we've got to be ready. And I've been, I've been procrastinating for the last... Uh, few weeks because people aren't ready we're not ready but God has a work for us which we've got to do can't back out but if you haven't got the Holy Spirit the Lord Jesus living within you and you recognize him and you know him because you can't live his life for him he lives his life for himself in us and through us. And that's where we're ready to move forward. So friends, thank you for listening. And I hope and pray with all my heart that as we move forward into next week, we begin.